Garen's pose and the leader's pose parallel each other. And probably my favorite thing to have spun from this is everyone like believing that the leader is now Kieran's dad because it's come up with some very funny headcanons. I think there's a lot to say for that. Remember that scene where we see baby, you know, young Kieran and an older man that looks like him getting beaten up and he's running away. So maybe that is one of the incidents that radicalized Kieran's dad slash the leader to become the leader, to become who he is. Maybe it was police brutality that made him be that way that like pushed him over the edge and pushed him to terrorism. And maybe then, you know, he took Kieran and like, just was like totally merciless with him and training him to be a weapon. And Kieran, you know, is, is very upset about that. Welcome to the Story Tinker podcast, a place for in-depth analysis of stories, mainly from Webtoon. Co-hosted by sharp, witty, and dare I say, thirsty fans, we dive deep in every episode analyzing character struggles, relationship development, and of course, theories. We also interview people working in creative industries. You can follow The Story Tinker on YouTube, podcast platforms, and social media. For bonus content, sneak peeks, and more, you can support The Story Tinker on Patreon. We're really appreciative of your likes, subscribes, follows, comments, and ratings on all platforms. Thanks for listening to The Story Tinker, and let's get started. Kieran, with his ever-impeccable fashion sense, meets with a messenger to try to defend his lack of loon killing. He faces down threats with jokes of his own, which may refer to his protectee as well as the beating he received. The messenger leaves, warning a sad-looking Kieran that he will receive a new mission from Apostle the Fourth soon. We cut to the leader in the same position, at the head of a table full of Apostles, all arguing that Apostle the Seventh needs to be punished for his insurrection. Apostle the Seventh plays it cool as a cucumber, pointing out that he has become both popular and indispensable with his work for the poor and his alliances. Finally, the leader has had enough of this back and forth. He reminds Apostle the Seventh that he has agreed to become a monster for the sake of fighting bigger monsters, a line that echoes Kieran's choice. But he does not forgive betrayal, as he did not forgive Lauren's parents, and Apostle the Seventh is unceremoniously dragged away as the leader orders Apostle the Fourth to find and kill Sandman. Our final scene takes place in the underworld, where Kieran is trailing Flemings, only to discover that he is seconds too late to save him from a grisly death at the hands of none other than our favorite pink-haired assassin, Bella. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 114, Treacherous... Am I on the right episode? Treacherous Traitor? Okay. Sorry. Treacherous Trade-Off. There you go. Trade-Off. Okay. Fine. (laughs) All right, Ocean, take it away. All right, so we start episode 114 with Kieran um, being interrogated. And he says, well, Purple Hyacinth, it looks like you failed your mission. And we kind of knew this was going to come in the last episode, I think. Mm -hmm. Also, Kieran's outfit, this sense of fashion. Yes. Wearing a ruffle. I don't know why he's wearing a ruffle over that, like, caller but okay you do you do you king um (laughs) he he like this is his way of making himself feel better he knows he's about to like face a really stressful situation so he's like i will make myself look amazing so that Mm -hmm. i have that to comfort me (laughs) yeah it's um i think it was like a long time coming because uh this is definitely like a good place to pick up to pick up with the phantom scythe uh because in episode 111 we got the like the new measures implemented 
and that was like the announcement and so that made it kind of official and that made it public and so you know that made it you know we had to find out what the phantom scythe was going to do next and this is like how we catch up with what they've been up to and mm-hmm. you know as we know like Luna is supposedly dead right and there were a lot of questions about what would that mean for Kieran because it was his mission to kill them but you know an explosion got to Loon first before the purple hyacinth technically could I don't know why but I really thought that they were going to be like well you know whatever you did your best <laughs> <laughs> I guess you think no. <laughs> darn one more thing about his fashion sense I really got some pirate vibes here like he looks great I, read. I really like his coat yeah he has a couple layers like he has that waistcoat and like a vest mm-hmm. and then this ruffle coat and i think something underneath right because it has threads but there's still yeah. white underneath and then the necktie it's a lot maybe it's cold <laughs> i don't know it's like february at this point so mm-hmm. <laughs> true um so kieran says wouldn't they have been killed anyways they spared me the dirty work by blowing themselves up, but I still gathered information on them. Getting a little sassy here. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, I thought it was interesting because like it was his, was the Phantom Scythe considered his mission a failure because it's not really that he failed to kill Loon, it's just that he failed to kill them before they basically died themselves, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Well, Thanks- I- what were you gonna say sorry but go ahead um i think like the bigger problem here is that um loon really like messed up their supply with the nitroglycerin i think that's what they're like most upset about um i don't think no i'm pretty sure they're not upset about loon with the nitroglycerin because the factory belonged to apostle seven and he i'm pretty sure he was leeching off of the leader supply of nitro so it wasn't really like a phantom scythe organized like in general phantom scythe it was more like part of apostle seven's mutiny but i think the more serious aspect about loon going after that factory is that it's put a much larger spotlight on the phantom scythe so even if the larger phantom scythe and like the leader and the rest of the apostles were not associated with that factory because the police don't know about apostle seven's mutiny or um, and Impossible Seven's plans, they just assume, you know, it's the Phantom Scythe rather than a subsection of the Phantom Scythe. And so they apply mm. or they, they assess the situation and see, like, this is what the Phantom Scythe is planning. And they are kind of correct, but they are missing some context for that factory. But anyways, what's important is that the aftermath of the factory has created consequences that are just going to make it much harder to operate in the Phantom Scythe. Um, mm. And we'll see the leader and the other apostles discuss it as we get further into the episode mm-hmm. um he says you have uh you also have my report on that boring precinct in there we'll see what apostle four and the leader think of that and what can apostle four do to me that he hasn't already done Getting extra sassy here yeah when i when i first read this line um it was definitely like an allusion to episode 91 when he got kind of beat up by apostle four's men um but i as well as 
uh, Mini, I believe, on the Phantom Size server. We both also were thinking that um, this could apply to the person that Bella referred to that Kieran was protective over because Apostle 4 is in charge of espionage, so like assassins and like missions, and he's the one who organizes all the assassins' work. And so it is very likely that Apostle 7 could have played a very large role in the fate of this person that Kieran was protective over, also known as like the protectee. Mm. So, you know, it could have been like some emotional or physical trauma. That's sad. I feel like I, I, yeah, I think that if Kieran is thinking of that, he wouldn't, he's trying to, he's thinking of that for himself because I feel like he wouldn't give them emotional armor like that they could use against him. Like, I don't think he would acknowledge that he has, he would try not to acknowledge that he has an emotional weakness. Um, so I think that like his direct thing is, is the beating. Yeah, no, that's what I got from it, too. He's kind of, like, taunting him, like, if you're going to kill me, like, I would probably already be dead by now. Like. Mm. Um, yeah, you still see the bruises on his arms. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, his next line, definitely, like, it's an allusion to the episode 91. But I think it would still be interesting if there's, like, a double meaning to that, mm-hmm. especially the emphasis on hasn't done already. Yeah. Hmm. he says i must congratulate your men i still haven't totally recovered from their beating and like you said you can still see the bruises and he looks tired like he just looks drained just from trying to like keep it together and act like he's fine he's like leaning down against the table you know when (laughs) when you're tired you're like leaning like that i feel like you can see it in his eyes too like the man is exhausted I feel that Kieran is me this week. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, after the fiasco of the factory and the new measures imposed by the royal court, all of us will have to be more careful and act quicker. Yeah. So yeah, like yeah. what you're saying, Boo, like mm-hmm. you, like they are more upset about like the fact that it's going to be a little bit more difficult because there's like a night restriction now for everyone in town. Mm-hmm. And then you see him walking away, leaving Karen, and he says, expect to hear me again from, um, again from me in a few days. Apostle 4 won't leave you jobless for too long. Purple Hyacinth. Aww. So, yeah. I mean, we kind of knew it was coming, because, like, he didn't really, like, do much as the Purple Hyacinth in Season 2, so he's kind of, like, he hasn't killed anyone as the Purple Hyacinth since, like, the since the tower in season one so yeah it's been a while and i think it was kind of overdue you know it was you know it's been a season so mm-hmm. um but yeah return of the purple hyacinth <laughs> and um i was gonna say something but oh yeah okay i think when i first read this i was like they're gonna send him after sandman they have to send him out to sandman you know we'll see again there's going to be more discussion of this later in the episode but um you know the last episode literally ended with like an attempted assassination attempt or a second assassination Mm -hmm. attempt on sandman you know and it failed and what we've seen with sandman's assassination attempts is that the assassins are getting progressively more advanced so Mm -hmm. the first one was just like a lone shooter however the second one was one of the trained assassins who like or the same uniform that went against Kieran in episode 91. And so, you know, the next level up from that would probably be Bella or Kieran, you know, because he's, Sandman's really becoming a nuisance. Mm-hmm. 
but also <laughs> like a little far-fetched i could also see um the leader sending him after lauren because there are like some implied allusions to lauren's parents later in this episode and um lauren has been brought up to the phantom size before by bella so you know maybe they if they deem her enough of a nuance they'll send Kieran after her as well but I, I feel like that wouldn't happen only for story purposes because Kieran was already sent to kill Loon which is basically the same mm-hmm. thing right as killing Lauren yeah so I think that they wouldn't do it again you know <laughs> yeah um I'm curious though like how the leader or like somebody in the phantom sites actually knows Lauren's parents like I don't know like obviously like they know them from the snapdragons but I like I wonder who it is and like how close their relationship actually was or if they killed her parents like I'm excited to see that and hopefully this season yes and the uh, messenger by the way also has like a sense of fashion like not as elaborate <laughs> as kids, but yeah they're, he's also wearing like a ruffle thing and neck and you know french coat <laughs> top hat looks more like a merchant than a sailor going for a <laughs> Kieran, Kieran wins on this one. Yes. <laughs> that's in line. <laughs> but yeah, this scene definitely made me sad, like thinking about Kieran, like having to get another job and have to kill someone and having to probably tell that to Lauren and knowing that she's not going to be happy about that. Yeah. His face looks very sad, like when the, the messenger is leaving and he's just staring off in the distance. He does look sad finally and finally we get to see it you know Kieran has always been like the flippant one who like doesn't let anyone see how things affect him but now like nobody's looking at him except the camera and we get to see him being sad yeah I we forgot to mention this earlier but I think it's kind of important to mention that the location that the messenger and Kieran are in is most likely the Grim Goblin because there are just a lot of visual similarities to the floor and the walls from the location in episode five but also what I did notice, the table changed. And I can't remember in which table is which. Um, but now, okay, yeah. The table now has sharper edges, but in episode five, it had round edges. Hmm. But yeah. Yeah, if it's the same place. It could also just be an oversight drawing-wise. Just different models, you know. It's like the table is stuff. so... I like what you said, Ocean, how he's going to mention it to Lauren, because I agree with you. I think that he will now tell Lauren about his his missions. I, I don't think he's going to keep secrets from her like that anymore. Yeah, because with the re- reformation of Loon, right, they didn't have to abide by the same rules that they had before, right? Where it's like, you know, no personal stuff. But, you know, one of Lauren's rules uh, when they first created Loon in season one was that she didn't want to be involved with any of Karen's Phantom mm-hmm. Scythe business. So... I do wonder if he will tell her about, you know, what the Phantom Scythe sends him out to do because, you know, he told her about um, what he had to do as, like, the archivist, and that was, like, Phantom Scythe business, although it did overlap with her own personal life. So, you know, maybe without that rule, since, you know, this is a new era of Loon, he will actually tell her, like, whatever goes on in the Phantom Scythe. And I feel like even if he doesn't tell her, I think that they've become close enough that she's going to know that he's distressed or Mm -hmm. some kind of like change or shift in his personality. And she's going to like subconsciously know it, even if he doesn't like tell her himself. Yeah, I honestly, I wonder something else I wonder is how Lauren reacts, because I guess it depends on who Kieran's target is. But I think Lauren at this point will not get mad at Kieran 
because you know uh, episode 90 when she had that talk with Sandman you know about how even though it doesn't matter if the assassins don't want to do it if they don't do it then someone else will right um so I wonder if she'll take that perspective into account and we'll actually see her not get mad at Kieran you know and her like be more rational I guess like in how she like just views the phantom scythe with like you know a little more nuance and she won't like get super mad at him I hope (laughs) a little more understanding standing up for Kieran (laughs) I'm standing up for Lauren's character development okay (laughs) I'm kidding (laughs) I'm standing up for both (laughs) um and then it kind of fades into the next scene where we see what I'm thinking is a map of somewhere and I think that they're somewhere underground and we see the leader looking just (laughs) something oh something very interesting that Phoebe from the Phantom Side server pointed out is that Kieran's pose and the leader's pose parallel each other they're right after each other they're right next to each other so that makes me think that maybe it was intentional yeah um and probably my favorite thing to have spun from this is everyone like believing that the leader is now Kieran's dad because it's come up with some very funny headcanons. Oh. I think that's, I think there's a lot to say for that. And here, here's my thing, which I, I also posted on the group. Remember that scene where we see baby, you know, young Kieran and an older man that looks like him getting beaten up and he's running away. So maybe that is one of the incidents that radicalized Kieran's dad slash the leader to become the leader to become who he is maybe it was police brutality that made him be that way that like pushed him over the edge and pushed him to terrorism and maybe then you know he took Kieran and like just was like totally merciless with him and training him to be a weapon and Kieran you know is is very upset about that even if like he is even if the leader like isn't a biological father of Kieran I think it's kind of like there is kind of, I guess, based off like Bella and Apostle Seven's relationship, even though they're like very different, it's kind of like you see this figure and, you know, you're not, you don't really like this figure, but you do kind of like acknowledge that this person took this other person in, right? When they were a child and they like basically adopted them. So I think Bella and Apostle Seven's relationship is definitely more like father-daughter-like than the leader and Kieran's relationship will be. But there is kind of like between Bell and Kieran that mutual thing of being like taken in by, um, you know, high-ranking Phantom Scythe members. Right. At the very least, it seems very possible that the leader could have trained him, been the one yeah. to like kidnap him and train him. And that's why he's so upset at him because he stole his life away from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's that would make sense also, that they have the same poses. Yeah. I think it's also interesting to think about how Kieran is more concerned with taking down specific people within the phantom scythe rather than taking down the phantom scythe as a whole and you really see this in episode 65 when he talks about like how like he doesn't want to actually take down the phantom scythe itself he wants to take down the terrorists within it because you know what the phantom scythe stands for i guess like some of its values not like all of them because Kieran doesn't believe in terrorism and i don't think anyone should believe in ter- in terrorism but you know what um snapdragon you know campaigned for and what the phantom sites 
kind of trying to do that being dismantling the class system like Karen does believe in that and he does believe that there should be groups that you know are able to advocate for these issues he just doesn't believe that violence is the answer and that's why he wants to take down the terrorists which include the leader yeah and I feel like it's a personal vendetta against the leader too um which is why I would think that the leader kidnapped him and trained him because I feel like it's a personal hatred for like what you did to me Mm-hmm. or what he did to protect you mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah that power pose of the leader is great it's a great opening image you know he's just in the chair leaning back he's got like his arm his leg arm crossed sorry his leg crossed over over his knee so he's relaxed in a position of power it's a great opening image and obviously his face is completely shrouded <laughs> Now that you point out the body similarities, like I can almost like picture a similar face on the leader right now that Kieran has, like displeased, annoyed, upset, like um, kind of what I'm picturing now <laughs> as he looks at everyone. And we don't know what they're saying. It's blurred out, but they're <laughs> I know, I was like, oh come on, maybe if I zoom in, I can read it. <laughs> Um, but it's really cool because you see the setting and I feel like it's pretty clear that they're somewhere underground. You can see the lanterns for light on the walls mm-hmm. uh, and some kind of overhead light there with the map. Um, I'm not sure what that's a map to. Maybe like the underground or something or like um, maybe under factories. the palace. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, that'd be a fun place for them to hang out <laughs> right <laughs> under the palace <laughs> the irony of it all <laughs> um but yeah like you seven see. apostles right and the leader am i counting correctly yes yeah okay so i thought josephine had a chance of being an apostle but this for me was kind of like oh i guess not because she cannot get out of bed there's no way she could attend this meeting or maybe she was just retired as an apostle but yeah, Josephine's kind of sus to me still. I'm, I could see her being an apostle, a retired one. Judges on the Supreme Court, the only way you get out of it is if you retire or die. <laughs> what a job, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, so scrolling down, we see Apostle, what is that, nine? talking he says he betrayed all of us and cannot be trusted we cannot move forward with a traitor in our midst and at first I thought he was talking about Kieran yeah me too um, yeah really, same <laughs> I was like oh no not our little baby our little pirate <laughs> I was like yeah I was like oh they know they know about Kieran being loon I mean Kieran was very bad at hiding it but like oh dang <laughs> I know I was so scared um, I like to point out, I think it's really cool how all of their masks are different. It's not just like the Roman numerals under it. They all have like mm-hmm. designs on there. I think still, I hate saying this because I hate Apostle 7, but I think Apostle 7's mask is my favorite with Apostle 4 being a close second. But like Apostle 7, he just like, his mask has eyelashes. Like what is the <laughs> material girl? Like. <laughs> You know, he, he didn't have to have the eyelashes there, but he does. And that just makes his mask so much better than everyone else's. <laughs> like, especially compared to a leader who's literally just a void. Like, their face is a void. Come on, give us give us some more, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I think I like the simplicity of Apostle 11. It's just like that nice green stripe, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
But, um, and then Apostle 11 says, we've always had very strict rules. What message will be sent if we let him get away with his mutiny? So they're clearly very upset with someone right now. And then, yeah. was it- and the mutiny for me was kind of like, oh, they're talking about um, Apostle 7. Because, yeah. Because, you know, it's the factory, it's the aftermath of the factory. And so that was Apostle 7's doing. But, um, I do wonder, like, did the other apostles know about um, Apostle Seven's mutiny? Because the leader in Apostle Four knew, but we don't know about the other ones. And so I wonder if, like, if the events of the factory is what finally got them to come together and be like, hey, this is something that needs to be addressed, or whether the events of the factory happened and the leader and Apostle Four gathered the other apostles and were like, hey, yo this is what's up we're about to like kick this dude out you know <laughs> well if any of them were actually on his side i'm pretty sure they keep it quiet about it now <laughs> yeah it would be kind of weird if they like didn't talk about that like the leader and apostle four you would think that they'd be a little bit more like open and kind of like mm-hmm. you know consolidated and be like this is kind of a problem let's address it before it happens um kind of weird mm-hmm. i don't know i think the terrorists would be a little bit more organized but i guess not <laughs> i just realized apostle 11 has like eyebrows like little dots for eyebrows i'm like oh okay well, i see you that, i think like that above the eyebrow because there's a little line yeah well, like there's like the eyebrow bone right the con little, like shadow there yeah there's like two little shadows for each eyebrow see 11th styling too yeah I like to think that the, sorry, I like to think that the uh, apostles all had like, you know, at the beginning of the PS, they all had like a little arts and crafts day where they made their masks. You know? <laughs> I want the green paint. That one hugged the green paint. Exactly. Apostle three was like, I'm going to be as creepy as possible. And bring exactly. my Joker energy. No, I was going to say, Apostle three is like, I'm a lot like Joker from mm. the movie Joker. I don't know if you guys know that meme, but yeah, I'm like, what was the reason for that smile what was the reason in that tear like it's giving mm-hmm. go back to hot topic you know <laughs> he's just a psycho who loves to be cruel <laughs> yeah a lot of people theorize that uh, apostle three is the apostle in charge of torture mm-hmm. that makes punishments sense. especially since they're the apostle three is the one talking about punishment so that and like in a lot of like um like different cultures like the teardrop is like a sign of like you've killed uh, like yeah. hurt a lot of people too mm-hmm. um yeah. eerie with that smile but okay mm-hmm. um and apostle three says surely he wouldn't without proper punishment like the creep that he is yep like let me do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and apostle four says what do you have to say to defend yourself were you naive, uh, naive enough to think we wouldn't discover your little stunt? So Apostle Seven's in the room with them. Ooh. Which I have to say, I think that's kind of good that they, it's, like, it's kind of like a mini trial. You know, he does yeah. have a chance to defend himself and to, to speak. So I, more than I expected they would give him, <laughs> I thought it would be immediate death, but it's a little bit democratic. Everyone gets to have a say. Yeah. I honestly like, I didn't know whether they would like straight up kill Apostle Seven because Apostle Seven is like 
Redcliffe, you know, a lot of people, it's pretty much confirmed at this point that he's Redcliffe. Right. So like, confirmed. <laughs> yeah. So like, and he does fund like basically like the entirety of the PS because he's just so rich. He's like the PS is like sugar daddy. And you know, it's like, that's not really someone that you want to kill off. <laughs> so I can see them doing some like um, weird lawyer stuff where they like transfer his funds to somebody else in the phantom site and just wipe their hands clean of him and get all of his money too. Yeah, but like as mentioned later on in this episode, Apostle 7 does point out that he's very popular among the nobility and so like that's another reason that they can't really kick him out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's pretty proud of himself. He says, guilty to the charge. I admit that I got a little impatient. Ten years with barely any real action would have worn anyone's patience. It's a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he says, but I'm sure you've, you've been aware of my plans for a little while now, considering the hum. technical difficulties we've experienced in the last months. So I like uh, I was pulling them out about it, too. Like, you've yeah. known about it. Yeah, he about yeah about the, like killing all the the people that are involved in this operation no i believe he's talking about bella because she was sent to spy on him right from the leader but she was also working on the operations with him and so like but oh no oh my god sorry okay 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 theory i have, I have to bring up <laughs> <laughs> I just went silent. I have to bring up Fitcher in theory, you know, <laughs> hear it, you know, because like the most technical, because Bella hasn't really caused that many difficulties that we know of for the operations. She's mainly just been reporting, right? Mm-hmm. She's mainly just been reporting information back to the leader on Apostle Seven's plans, but she hasn't really done anything to really slow it down besides maybe like killing off Sake. But even then, like his job was over. But yeah, the technical difficulties that they did have was like Loon and Kieran, right? So why would he be blaming it on the leader unless he believes that Loon and the leader are like associated or something, or that the leader sent Loon after him? I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I don't never on the leader. Though. I know, but he's like, I'm sure you've been aware of my plans for a while, right? Considering the technical difficulties we've experienced, unless maybe he's referring um, to how a bunch of his people have been like, you know, jailed. Yeah. Right. Jailed and then killed. <laughs> yeah, but also I I think that would be interesting if he suspects the correlation between the leader and Loon. And okay. <laughs> um, yeah, because yeah, Bella hasn't really done much to count as a technical difficulty. It's been Kieran and Loon who's been really being the new n- nuisance. He could think that it's Bella and Kieran that are Loon because they are very close. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also general knowledge um, by now that one person in Loon is a um, police police officer. So, oh yeah, that's true. That is true. <clears throat> um, and he says, "Yet you've kept me alive all this time for a very simple reason." And Apostle Five says, "And what is that? Because if you kill me, it is not a simple protest you'll have to manage." but an entire insurrection. And he is very confident. Like, I really don't think he thinks that they would kill him. Like, so I kind of viewed it the opposite. I view it as fake confidence where he's like pooping his pants inside, but he's like 
faking bravado because you know he's just that kind of person but yeah it could be either way <laughs> i guess it's a good thing they're wearing masks then if that's the case <laughs> i wonder like do they have voice modifiers in these masks or like something because like but they're also like such close proximity then like how would they even be able to use it because like um you know what happens if like they hear each other talk and then they go back to their normal lives right and they're not supposed to know each other's identities right they go back to their normal lives and then they like meet some people and they're like wait a minute you sound like very very oddly familiar that's what I was wondering like I'm, I I was wondering like do they really not know who the other one is like because they work together how could they not know like but I'm, there's no point in wearing masks in internal meetings otherwise so I guess they're still trying to be anonymous I don't yeah. get how they could accomplish it. They've worked together for so many years and they don't know who the, who the other person is. I think the re- the masks, like even if they did know the identities of other people in the room, they would still keep the masks on because of professionalism, which is I think something that Apostle Seven like mentions in episode 91 when he talks to Bella and Bella's like, uh, whatever, and she takes off his mask. Mm. Mm. Hmm that's definitely and i'm sure like the apostles know who they all are but i I don't think that they know who the leader is Mm. or like if they do like it must be like just like a select few like he must really stay in the shadows and not really like be in society with the rest of them Mm. that's what i'm thinking yeah okay so did we get to the insurrection line yes we just okay yeah i think apostle seven would really like facebook but like I think it's interesting how like <laughs> I think it's interesting how um we didn't really know how popular a- Apostle Seven was before. Like we knew that people backed his plan, right? And we knew that people were working with him, you know, especially like the factory. And, you know, especially after episode uh one oh four where Lauren witnessed that Phantom Scythe member die. Um, it was like, wow, these people are like with that what I pulled from that was like these people really believe in apostle seven's cause like not just the fan besides but like apostle seven and you know they they follow him to the ends of the earth um and you know it's not like a small group of people but this this tells us that like it's a big part of the phantom scythe mm-hmm. yeah i also think maybe he might also be referring to like well, I guess they wouldn't necessarily know. I, I I was thinking about the general populace, like the people, like the poor people that he's popular with, right? But they might not know that the Phantom Sex killed him. They would be like, oh, well, he just died. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he says, I'm sure your little spies have told you how popular my plan has become. This plan I really like because it's most likely a reference to Bella, right? Because mm. that's the main spy we know of who's on um, Apostle 7 from the leader. But, you know, Bella, there's a parallel between Bella telling the leader how popular Apostle 7 has become and then Darcy telling Lisbeth how popular Redcliffe has become. Because, <laughs> like, in episode uh, 110, she was like, he's like, Darcy was like, yeah, he's in, like, unusually popular or something. It's like, I was like, uh-huh, huh. that's that's very soulmates. Yeah, soulmates. <laughs> you know, girlfriends who tell their bosses how popular this toxic dude in their life is stay together. You 
<laughs> um, I'm not sure who said it, but they say you've gathered quite the army of followers in the dark. And he says, I'm not the only impatient one among our ranks. I'm sorry, leader. I'm afraid I've stolen the hearts of many of your subjects. Would be okay. Sorry, sorry. I just want to say that line. I feel like that line is going to feel like a new ship, you know. I've like stolen the hearts, right? I'm sorry, leader, right? The emphasis, right? And this is an original apostle. He knows the leader's identity, right? So I'm like, I see this, you know, you know, personal. Yeah. Apostle seven has his daughter, Bella, and then leader has his son, Kieran, you know, and they have, they're like divorced parents (laughs) (laughs) with like joint custody or something you know awkward family dinners between apostle seven the leader kieran and bella (laughs) i can see it i wonder if this is gonna create like a whole new branch of the um phantom size if um they're gonna be like a lot more violent than the already violent phantom size and it's gonna create a lot more problems oh yeah definitely um I feel like the leader is definitely more moral, like, like is like going off some kind of morality system, even though what the leader does and what the leader's in charge of, it's like horrible. Like the leader still has some kind of like system that they're operating off of. It's a weird system, but it's something. Whereas Apostle 7 is literally just like, whatever, factory blows up, you know. I'm not sure because I know well, Kieran, not really whatever uh, but like you know what was it Kieran said or other people said that you know um a lot of people in the camp like don't have the ideals anymore I think mm-hmm. it was in the bar scene way back but I think the the Phantom 7 sorry Apostle 7 um he does uh, if I remember him correctly saying like he wants the leader to move faster because he doesn't want the ideals to be realized yeah before I so from the Carmine Camellia arc what I gathered from that was the leader was um, the idealistic one still. And um, so the leader was being very slow and cautious in how they were trying to achieve those ideals. Whereas Apostle 7 had gone to the point where it was like, you know, um, they didn't really care anymore. And they were like, they like wanted violence. Um, and especially like Kieran's talk about how he wants to stop um, the terrorists within the Phantom Scythe. But then this kind of like changed my perspective on Apostle 7 more because like Apostle 7 is definitely like still very much violent, but they also still believe in the ideals that the Phantom Scythe was founded upon, but they're just violent in how they want to do that. And, you know, they're not, he's not patient, right? Like the leader is. Neither of them are in the right again, but like the leader is playing a very careful game of chess and Apostle 7 is getting tired of it. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense, too. If he was um, part of the Snapdragons, he would still carry some of those morals. And you see, like, the terrorist group, like, evolving to get more and more radical and dangerous. Um, So that would be really scary if and when Apostle 7 and his uh, little army there start blowing up all of the city. Hmm. Oh, I just remembered. Sorry, this was a bit off topic, but in episode 91, there were like 12 or 
15 chairs at the table and now there's only like eight so I wonder what happened to those chairs but it was definitely like oh yeah this is because this is the same location for episode 91 yeah finally let them be useful instead of just sitting there empty yeah anyways that was off topic but yeah um so yeah it says would be problematic if half of our men decided to turn against you and you see the leader what threatening the leader he's yeah got bold (laughs) power play yeah this is literally going to be like shipping material like (laughs) (laughs) well yeah you know it might be personal i don't know yeah um and apostle 11 says all of them are fools to trust you over our leader you've always been hungry for power and laurel since you've crawled out of your hole in gray chapel okay so like that for me was like yeah this dude is redcliffe because you know wait not redcliffe oh you mean uh you mean because like it was like you know it was like 90 percent chance it was him after episode 91 you know like how could it not be redcliffe you know just like the way he talked to bella and the way bella like referred to like i've been seeing you much more since like i started doing shows again and redcliffe Mm -hmm. founded the circus um and so it was like, there were a lot of like connections to Redcliffe, but Redcliffe also came from Great Chapel. The circus started off in Great Chapel. Yes, he recruited orphans from Great Chapel, but I'm pretty sure he also like was from Great Chapel himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that definitely would have been a motivator for him in joining Snapdragon. And it definitely explains why he is like so popular among the nobility and like the public because you know it's he he came from the public right he came from like the lower classes and he yeah he's part of the nobility now but he also bought that title right and he's kind of like i feel like he is a bit of a success story mm-hmm. in artalis i don't like his success because he explored he exploited children to build his financial empire but you know mm-hmm. i feel like artalis doesn't really see that so but yeah since you the line you've always been hungry for power and morals since you crawled out of your hole in gray chapel it's a very interesting line and it does make me wonder if there's like prejudice yes in the apostles right against the lower classes like even though what they're claiming and what they're campaigning for right is like you know the rights of um, the lower class you know they're it's very odd because the two people that we do have confirmed um as phantom sites apostles were lauren's parents uh rachel and alexander and they were very well off they didn't you know they didn't live that experience right they didn't live and know what it was like to live in um great chapel yeah they could like see it right but there's a difference between growing up in this in these circumstances where it's just like you know observing it Mm -hmm. and so yeah they might have had some biases themselves and you know Mm -hmm. this line you crawled out of your hole in gray chapel it's like ooh, kind of kind of towing the line there you know yep (laughs) which just shows (laughs) like a lot of people who start out idealistic i mean i I don't know if maybe 11 joined the phantom side for the wrong reason maybe he was never idealistic to begin with and he just joined because he's a violent person right maybe Mm. maybe what do you remember which ones we were were from the snapdragon do we know no we don't we right? don't know how yeah. many were from the snapdragon but we know that there are four original 
apostles. We don't know which ones. We know, well, actually, we know seven's one of them, and probably four is one of them, but I don't think we know the other two. Yeah. So, anyway, so this guy might never, he just might not be that idealistic. I mean, mm-hmm. but clearly his words yeah. don't seem that way. I sorry please go okay i was gonna say i think he's um i don't know who i don't really have like a suspicion of which one yet but i think he's someone from the palace like someone Mm. much more wealthy someone who's just like above it all because in one of the last episodes i think it was the one before this they had a conversation where they're saying like most of you here haven't even been to gray chapel or seen what it's actually like down there so for someone to be saying like crawl out of the hole you came from like, I imagine it's someone who's very well off, who's never actually seen real poverty, like, yeah. firsthand. That's just, yeah, that's just something that strikes me about, you know, how the Phantom Scythe is organized, because a lot of the suspects that we have for, like, people who are, like, apostles and the leader, a lot of them are just, like, upper-class characters. So, like, Stefan, Dokken, Tristan, even Herman and March, you know, none of them that we know of came from you know the south shore which and so i find it a bit ironic that you know the leadership right are you know most likely just upper class people campaigning issues for the poor yes but in doing so like actually like villainizing the poor and antagonizing the poor in the eyes of nobility right because you know the lower lower income classes are associated to the phantom side because the phantom side you know claims to advocate for their rights but by doing but the way the phantom side advocates is through violence and so there's that inherent association between those two well i don't think it's surprising that the that the people we have as suspects are from the upper class because mm-hmm. i think that if you look at any like revolution it does come from people who have the education and the resources to devote to that because if you're very poor and either you had, don't have an extensive education you're, and you're not going to get very far. You're, you're like hand to, living hand to mouth, right? Yeah. You're concerned with basic substance. You don't have time and energy to devote to like radical causes or to ideal, idealism and to change the world because you're just trying to feed yourself. So in, I think in, if you look in, across all movements, it's people who do have some measure of wealth yeah. and definitely education um, and, and privilege so they, they can lead these movements. Yeah, but I think the irony I'm trying to get at here is that it's ironic how it's like the upper class leading this movement, right? But, you know, and they claim that they're helping the lower class, right? But in doing so, they only bring down more consequences on the people that they claim to help, as we saw with the measures that were introduced in uh, 110 and 111, you know, with the curfew and how the police will stop and like search anyone who they like in quotations is suspicious. But, you know, what does suspicious mean? And it's um probably just going to be like you know the lower class people and they're going to be deemed suspicious simply because of how they appear Mm. it's ironic too because in most situations like even in history it is the rich people leading it while it's the poor people who are out there actually getting the work done and getting hurt Mm. like their family are the ones who lose out really because then they lose their family members and they just get more poor because then they can't support themselves anymore so i think it's like a very traditional kind of revolution unfortunately for the rich people are leading the poor into more devastation which is just really mm. ironic i guess mm. um but yeah 
So I think I left off or we left off where it says all of them must be fools to trust. Yep. When you crawled out of the hole of Grey Chapel. Um, and Apostle 7 says only took me a little initiative and transparency to sway our phantoms allegiance, protecting the poor against the noble tyrants. Ironic, because <laughs> that's who they are. Um, claiming the rights we've been denied, the promise of a better and fairer world. All of that may be desirable, but our people have started losing hope. They've grown tired of waiting and abiding by the rules we once swore to break. They need to know where we are going, when they'll get what they've been fighting for. And again, what they've been fighting for, because the apostles don't actually do anything. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to figure what was, well, we don't know yet what he was planning on doing with the nitro. Like, he was planning on blowing something up, and that would get the poor people more rights. How? I don't know, but we don't know what he was planning on blowing up, right? We, we have our suspicions, but... <laughs> Yeah, he's he's very powerful with his words, and you know, he he's not right again, like, but um, he's convincing, you know, and just like <laughs> from the way that he talks about what the Phantom Sex has become, it's very like clear that yeah, this this guy could easily sway many many people to his side, mm-hmm. you know, um, and. Yeah. Yeah, the way he talks about like them as a collective, right, rather than like him himself, right? He he talks about the Phantom said like they've grown tired, right, or like they need to know where we're going, right? You know. And I I feel like he doesn't fully believe in these when he's saying because he he is someone who benefited from the exploitation of orphan children. So I'm like, you little snake. <laughs> Classic tyrant style. <laughs> um, yeah, and we see Apostle 9 say, I doubt you've given them much hope considering the absolute failure of your ridiculous operation. Everything is almost ready for the revolution. Mm-hmm. And we see the leader get a little bit restless here mm-hmm. and start kind of fiddling with his pen. <laughs> It's a power play. It's great. It's it's visually it's so it's so beautiful because it's just you know it's just a little action and it's repeated and it just shows you his his feelings. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's very striking too because it's very like black and white, and then you have like the red and gold on the wall, and then the gold pen. Like it's just very like I don't know, very striking. Yeah, and I believe the leader hasn't even said anything at this point, right? The leader's just been silent. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Um, and he, uh, Apostle 5 says, if your followers want action, they'll get it regardless of if your head is still attached to your body. <laughs> Direct. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> and Apostle 7 retorts with, but it is not only about my partisans. I'm a publicly known and influential advocate for the lower classes. It's just like really on his high horse here. Yeah, mm-hmm. trying to take the moral high ground, but yeah, this this guy has to be Redcliffe, <laughs> you know. <laughs> after the lines that Darcy was saying about like how, but the hospital, um, right? yeah, the hospital, how like the how his ball is a fundraiser to make a hospital on the South Shore, you know. But I feel like I still think that this is not genuine from him because again, he exploited children. Like, so, dude, I, I remember, remember you know, we argued about that that. 
I mean, most kids would think it's like a blast doing the circus and he took them off the streets where they were not taken care of. So I was, I argued that until I saw how he interacted with Bella because it was very abusive. Yeah. But I'm still going to say it's possible that he um, is, I guess maybe not so possible. I was going to say it's possible that he treats Bella that way and he's nicer to the other ones, but yeah, I can't really see it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I it's think, totally true yeah. that he could be emotionally abusive and still have given them, you know, food and shelter. Yeah. I think with Radcliffe, what he does is a facade because he's trying to build this image of himself, right? And he's trying to gain popularity and he uses this popularity as like, you know, a weapon against like the leader or like the nobles, right? Because like he is arguably like just a much more popular figure within the Phantom Scythe as well as within the nobility. And, you know, that popularity gives them power because people are willing to follow him. And so I think he's just kind of playing the game right now because you know it's like he is doing good things but you know why is he doing these good things and i believe that right now with what we've been given like he's doing it to gain popularity which honestly you know inside he's just really a shitty person (laughs) if it's just to gain popularity right and if he wasn't being like emotionally manipulative and stuff which we've seen with bella then okay so like fine you rescued 100 children and you're feeding like i don't know you're building three hospitals like i'm like okay so you want to be mr popular and you'll have an ego fine mm-hmm. you know like a lot of rich people donate money and it's like yeah you want your picture in the paper that's great you donated a million dollars that's fantastic <laughs> yeah i think i can't remember what the word is um but it's interesting to me that especially i was just thinking about it when you brought it up because like thank you so much my current patrons Susie, lady libras lily jenny and emily emily and and emily 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 and um philanthropy there we go i didn't pronounce it correctly but philanthropy yeah yeah that's what i see what um apostle seven does so um yeah he's just doing it to maintain a good public image because you know it's what gives him power definitely and it's definitely like a classic like um dictator kind of like a move that a lot of people see and I feel like we've seen it in recent history too, with people being very good at being persuasive and being very good and fluent in their speech, but they don't actually mean anything that they're saying. Like you said, like they just want the followers and they want the money to back them up and the popularity. So I feel like he like fits all those stereotypes of like a rich noble kind of. Okay. Um, yeah, it says murdering me goes against the Phantom Sight's cause and interests. Hmm. Um, so do you keep, sorry, no, that was, I thought that was my dog. Um, and Apostle 9 says, so does keeping you alive at this point. Uh, 11, right? I think, yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. 11. Yes. I would love to see a roast battle between the apostles. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> <laughs> Besides kill me, he says. And you lose the alliances I formed with our sympathizers and benefactors outside of our Dallas. Must I remind you who you owe the funding of all your respective activities to? I'm not yeah. stupid for your comrades. I love the use of comrades in this. Yeah. It's like, yeah. 
we're waiting for um I think the funding he's referring to is, I don't think it's necessarily his private funding. I think it's the alliances that he, he does yeah. that other people yeah. donate. <laughs> I find this very interesting because, you know, another country was brought up, Saren, in episode uh, 110. Yeah. And I don't really remember the context for it, but um, season three is definitely trying to establish more about the world outside of Art Hollis, you know? And this makes me interested because there were some theories about like, you know, where did Lisbeth come from? And some people think that, you know, she's actually from um, a country who wants to like annex Artalis or something. And this country is annexing Artalis by letting them have like a violent revolution that is incited by like the nobility just neglecting the people, right? And so that leaves Artalis in a weak, um, in a weak state. Mm-hmm which leaves them perfect for being overtaken. Mm-hmm. You know, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I'm not stupid, dear comrades. I've made sure the web of our political and economic ties stay strong so long as I'm there to control it, which is just very manipulative. Mm-hmm. Very calculated. Yeah. He says, too many pieces of the chessboard we've built over the last decade depend on me for you to afford my death. Hmm. Um, do not make the mistake of thinking you're irreplaceable. The seats of those who are thought who thought so are now empty. And we see the leader, what is he like, clicking his pen? It says tack. It's just um, done with it. And he says enough. Well played, seventh. Also, three looks kind of cute in this panel. Like, just a little <laughs> smile, you know? It doesn't look creepy from far away. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a car- car- cartoon. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, Mr. He's finally stepping in and he's intimidating. You see, he's at the head of the table. Everyone's turned their head to look at him. He's finally like, he's that leader, right? He really is. Like, he's, he's finally oh. getting all that attention. You know what this panel reminds me of? It reminds me when Apostle Seven did that, like, it was the same, like, fisheye to Bella, right? You know, it was very intimidating, you know, it felt like they were looming over them, right? So, like, here it's, like, in episode 91, it felt like, you know, Apostle Seven looming over Bella, but now it's the leader looming over Seven. Yeah, and he says, your cunning has always been admirable. And everyone's looking, they're like thump thump. You see um nine and eleven and someone in a green mask. <laughs> um, you know, they're they're anxious because when the leader talks apparently it means something and he's intimidating to them. And he gets up, big thump, the view is from the bottom, just superb, superb positioning, superb lighting. He's so threatening. And he says, But your arrogance makes you forget who you are dealing with and that's him right and he's like oh I wouldn't dare leader apostle seven says you and I are old friends okay old friends you know oh. Saturdays for the boys yeah I yeah when this goes public people are going to ship them like no tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking I mean, dragon, but... <laughs> it's like it's giving you know friends to lovers to rivals you know it's like the perfect concoction mm-hmm. the mass too you know the ambiguity that tension <laughs> <laughs> i think it's i think you can have that without the lovers part i think like very close friends is, is good enough you know like yeah 
and he leader just he like shut it shuts it down like he's like I don't care that we were old friends I don't that's not important anymore I don't have any of that bond left shut it just screwed wow <laughs> and he turns around with those gleaming eyes somehow somehow his face is black and his eyes are gleaming he's some version of Darth Vader or something he's like the end justifies the means right that's how we agree to ally ourselves with criminals to become criminals ourselves sacrifice we decided to make when the phantom scythe was born out of the snapdragon's ashes it's like oh it's so nice of you i'm sacrificing myself to become tara (laughs) it's like the the line the end justifies the means right i feel like that is a quote i feel like he's quoting someone and i feel like that quote would either be like something he was told 10 years ago by um apostle seven but also maybe by like lauren's parents you know because you know the mention of like old friends right well lauren's parents were in the snapdragon and they were original apostles so they would have known the leader personally and the leader had to order their deaths Mm -hmm. so you know you and i are old friends i think that also is partly why the leader was like bro cut it off like shut it you know because you know it brings back you know memories of rachel and alexander and so like even like the end justifies the means, right? I feel like that can very much be applied to the situation because they were friends. Like the leader was friends with the Sinclairs, but the leader still had to kill them. The ends justify the means. Mm-hmm. But you know what's interesting? Also, you see like how much he's convinced himself that this is all for the right purpose. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people who do bad things convince themselves that they're doing it for the right reasons. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, ultimately it's for the good. <laughs> yeah. And this line is like, Oh, okay. So that's how we agree to ally ourselves with criminals to become criminals ourselves. Um, that line, it's like, it makes me also think like, yeah, leader is definitely like higher class, right? Because he didn't consider himself a criminal before, right? But now he does. So. Well, that's the thing though. Um, he says he was old friends with Radcliffe and he was from Great Chapel. So maybe he's a Great Chapel person. So obviously no, you can be. But- will not be a criminal right like he's the, the circus royale was formed before snapdragon the, before the snapdragon pamphlets came into the timeline so is most likely that Redcliffe was starting to accumulate wealth um with the circus and um then he met the other snapdragon people joined their cause and he just built he just got a ton more money, but um, maybe. But it's also possible they were friends when they were really young. Yeah. It kind of like makes me wonder too, just the way he says it. Like I feel like Apostle Seven has a lot more power than like we kind of realized, because it seems like the leader really tolerates this banter, and I don't think he would have tolerated that from another apostle. Like maybe. I feel like they are pretty good friends from like back in the day, like Snapdragon time, or like like you said, like back in Grey Chapel because he really is tolerating his nonsense here. <laughs> and, yeah, I want to like get to the next line because that yeah. I have some thoughts on that. Yeah, so Apostle Seven says, you know, he waves his hand, he's like, yep, becoming monsters to fight the bigger monster for our monarchs have been killing more people than we ever would. I know the mantra. So this is apparently their internal justification. Yeah, uh, so this line is really interesting to me. 
because the term monster is very closely associated to another character that we all know and love. Some of us. What's coming out of Boots' mouth? Um, so that would be Karen White, you know, our boy, local monster on the street. Um, and I find this line interesting because you know, just with the rhetoric that Sandman shared in episode 90 about how, like, you know, if Kieran doesn't do the job, then, you know, someone else will. And, you know, Kieran's, like, Kieran it stays in uh, the Phantom Scythe and he continues to do what he does um, because he believes that he can take down the leader through, you know, his position, you know. There's a line from episode 10 where it's, like, if you do everything, it's along the lines of, like, if you do everything with the leader, tells you to do that's the like only way to get close to him and that's how Kieran has gone closer to the leader to slowly uncover his identity but in doing so Kieran has sacrificed like you know parts of his humanity and he has been he has um done like unspeakable horrible things right and he's killed like hundreds of people like I'm pretty sure he's like killed more people than the Phantom Seth combined that was dropped somewhere um so yeah, he has done a lot of like just unspeakable acts and, you know, he justifies it by like, it's going to get me closer to the leader. And that was a very interesting parallel that I thought of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. They're both the end justifies the means. And yeah, now the leader says, we've agreed to commit unspeakable things for the sake of something greater. And once again, great lighting, he's holding the pen in front of him. He's like the white contrast behind him there was one thing in all those years that i've never overlooked or forgiven then and like it cracked in half or he opens it up and ink spilling all over the place the trail and the ink is dripping down as the head of the pen is falling down which is a great symbolism for someone's head being chopped off and blood falling all over the place so tell me seven and it lands on the floor and oh, rolls. that is more shipping material so tell me seven like yeah. i'm sorry maybe i am the leader <laughs> in apostle seven shipper maybe i am the problem <laughs> i don't see it shipping i see drama i see angst yes yeah. about shippy you know why I would it like tension you know, unspoken tension un, or un unrecognized un, unacknowledged tension <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, being old friends. I mean, you're threatening your friend with with death. It's it's pretty intense. And Fossil Seventh, like, he's been looking down and he's still looking down. So I think it's a little bit of, like, he's losing his bluster. He's like, of course, no one forgot what happened to the first and the second, which is, like, I'm just showing you that whoever, you know, probably Alexander and Rachel, right, they were very close to the leader and he still got rid of them. I, have, I really expected the leader to stab him in the neck with that pen. Like, <laughs> that's what I thought was coming next. Like, I was almost like, oh, there it is. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I also find it interesting that, you know, because this is most likely Alexander and Rachel. Like, they're the only apostles that we know to have gone killed off as a pair, right? And, you know, I find it interesting that they were the first and the second. So they were very close to the leader, like mm-hmm. perhaps even closer than seven. And I'm just saying, I'm just saying, who was Dawkins' best friend? It was Alexander. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. But also, if it was Tristan, Alexander is his brother, you know, you know. I don't know. It, it's really bad. I mean, like, the leader sounds like a horrible person. <laughs> Sorry. It's... Uh, if it was Lauren's parents, like, I don't see how you could kill your friends like that, that you've gone through so much and you've started a whole group and revolution together and then you just kill them. Well, I think it was like the ends justify the means, right? And um, it was like the shut it, right? You know, we are to the old, we are old friends from the leader, or when Apostle Seven said we are old friends, you know, and leader was like shut it. It was, you know, and then he followed it up with like you know the ends justify the means, right? I feel like, you know, that's just something that as Mindy was saying, you know, he's just committed himself to justify everything that he's had to do, mm-hmm. and so like, I think you know the leader his mindset is that um there are more important things than my personal relationships <sighs> and that being like evolution <laughs> has totally achieved your goals mm-hmm. yeah you're killing lots of people has really made life better for them yeah but i also think that's why the leader has taken it so slow because the leader has you know done so much right that like you know you he can't go back and so right he has to keep going to justify yeah. himself but he also has to make sure that all that death and all that sacrifice wasn't for nothing so he needs everything to be successful and that is why he's playing the long game so he can be careful in how he proceeds because when you're like apostle seven who rushes and it's just like and doesn't um, have the patience for you know this kind of revolution it ends up with the factory blowing up and the police on your tail i don't know because I, I don't whatever I, I don't know if, I, was, I obviously don't think the leader has great tactics either but whatever i don't think the leader has great tactics either but like you know it's the leader has kind of like led the apostles for so long and yeah i like coming from like the perspective of like phantom sites people it's definitely like yeah this is super frustrating that this is taking years but i think also like the leader is from we've seen from this conversation like just the battle of kind of like wits between apostle seven and the leader it's like the leader is very calculating and again they want he probably wants that sacrifice to me and stuff yeah so he Apostle Seven tries to uh, save himself, <laughs> and he says, "But unlike for them, getting rid of me would only dig a hole in your resources, and the Phantom Scythe wouldn't be able to recover from it before its members turn on you." And the leaders walking around past the bulletin board with a lot of notes, the map, and, and other notes. And he says, "Your threats do not face me. I faced worse than the insurrection you're prophesizing, and I'd much rather kill you with my own hands than let you endanger my people with your schemes." whatever i don't really agree with the way he's uh stating it but it's fine yeah. But yeah i faced worse right this is kind of like a personal admission what has he faced what's happened yeah like, i also wonder yeah <laughs> there was also that line earlier about how like you know people also believe that they were untouchable mm-hmm. right and now they're like seats are empty and they're like referring to the other apostles i'm like that kind of makes me wonder like did rachel and alexander do something that made them think that they're untouchable because i i personally kind of hope that they were not like the perfect little angels that they kind of seem to be you know like oh we're against 
we're against like the Allendale train station bombing. You were a part of a terrorist group. <laughs> like you guys had to have done something. And I also I just don't like think I don't so know. because they didn't like the Phantom Safe, right? They didn't Yeah, want to- but like still, I feel like they had to have been, I hope at least they were accountable for like something. You know, just to give more like moral ambiguity to Lauren's okay. family. Because Lauren was like she felt guilty about it, like herself in episode. 93 and Karen had to be like well it was them not you and even then they were like against the bombing anyway so it's like you know it's just I don't know I feel like her parents are a little too perfect like they can be <laughs> in a, like they can be the first and second apostles of a terrorist group but they can still like get away with it and still be like you know morally good I hear yeah I know what you're saying like they're not guilt-free like they had to have like come to the conclusion that it's gone too far or something like that and that's why they got killed off if they wanted to like turn themselves in or turn the members in because they realized that what they're doing is not helping anyone. And in fact, that they have actually hurt the people that they're supposedly trying to protect. I feel like that's more likely what happened. And I liked that they felt guilty about it. Um, But we'll never actually know. Now that you bring it up, there was like a whole like two week window where they could have gone to the police and just given them like everything that they knew about the Phantom Set. Because like maybe they thought by not telling them they would like survive or something. But you know, I feel like they should know like, oh yeah, we're gonna get killed off soon. You know, I think maybe for them it was also they didn't want to betray their friends. Maybe they were like, well, they went too far, but like they, I don't think to to then go and like give them up. I think that would have been too much emotionally because they were close. I mean, their friends also just killed, like, 300 people, so. Yeah. Actually, but, you know. Uh, kind of, and blew up the whole train station, so I don't know. Leader had no trouble getting rid of them, but they probably had yeah. trouble getting rid of the other way around, you know? They have feelings left, I would assume. But, yeah, so, like, that's very interesting, Ocean, that you bring that up, like, how they, like, didn't report that, because that, that, I didn't think about that before, and I'm, like, Rachel, Alex, you guys kind of mess up. Imagine, like, Purple Hyacinth regularly is, like, you know that one meme where it's, like, a really thick book of Purple Hyacinth if Rachel and Alexander just told the police who was in the fandom side, it's, like, a magazine, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's kind of, like, similar to, like, uh, Kim and Will discovering that Lauren is part of Bloom. Only Lauren, you know, hasn't killed hundreds of innocent people. It's kind of, like, a weird... Um, like similarity which makes me like wonder Mm. what they did to get killed off because I can't remember the episode but there's like almost like a flashback to when Lauren was a kid Mm. and she remembered her parents and they seemed like distressed maybe I'm making that up yeah yeah. I think I'm thinking of episodes in my I think it's 78 no not 76 maybe um it's either 75 or 76 and it was Sam, the scene is Sandman telling Lauren about her parents being apostles, and the flashback scene is him like overhearing their conversation about the leader. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, seventh, we focus on Hunt's face now, and he says, Then let's make a deal. You've got an army of spies and assassins at hand to get rid of me the second you wish to. In the meantime, let me atone for my mistake by sharing the preparations and resources we've put up in the last months. Metrobilstrin, weapons, trade deals to ensure our continuous supply during the revolution, and so on. And I think he's thumping on the floor. 
Okay, and- this is very interesting because I literally can't tell if that's like the tip of his shoe or if it's like a peg. I think it's a shoe, but yeah. Okay, because there was like a hot moment where I thought it was like, oh my god, it's a pet. Yeah, I'm missing a foot. <laughs> yeah. No. And let you conspire behind their uh, so the leader says, and let you conspire behind your facts and design your escape plan on your free time. And the seven says, I've been exposed, so there's no need for me to keep hiding. I'm well aware that if you decided to chop my head off, it would be rolling before it could even start to run. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's that's very uh, blunt and bold. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like when I was reading this, I was like, leader, don't do it. Don't do it, just kill him. You know, and maybe that's like my personal vendetta against him because, you know, just of what's been implied, his relationship with Bella and Bella's my favorite character. And actually, no, I wouldn't want the leader to kill him. I want Bella to kill him. I want that man to <laughs> right in his neck, you know? <laughs> the revenge oh yes i want her to kill him so yes leader keep him alive <laughs> yeah and the leader's approaching him and he says you are not wrong and the seven says we've worked together since the very start of the phantom safe we shared similar views similar anger although we disagree on some topics and methods we are still all here for the same thing let us start over and pool our resources for the final stretch he's he's trying to, he's really making a case for his life I, yeah. just, I think he's desperate i think uh i think he's playing cool but i think he's really desperate definitely and he's feeding into his ego when he says like oh mm-hmm. like you'd be able to kill me before i could even start to run mm-hmm. like, he's just like don't even worry about me like i'm just right. in the background mm-hmm. <laughs> he's flattering him yeah. yeah again he's also talking about like you know it's not like me against you it's us right it's like we you know we want the same things we have we share all these views right and it's like tricky you know it's like way with words you know very manipulative yes he he's, he's a good order yeah mm-hmm. and now we have the leader kind of looming over him obviously power position you know he's the one in power seven still okay. sitting and the leader says we've been working together for 10 years i've always had a deep respect and gratefulness for your contributions we're right Getting rid of you now will be rash and counterproductive. But hear me out. So I'd say I he also the leader also has oratory skills. He, you know, you can't be if you're like a dictator and everyone hates you, you're in trouble, right? Like you'll be assassinated. So here you see that he's, you know, he's giving him some accolades and you know, credit where credit is due. So he can't, you know, he can't be completely horrible. And he stabs at this point the paper that's in front of him and it's written in russian apparently says military operations um so i was oh my god are you serious it got translated oh my god i was gonna write it out but then apparently anna translated it because i'm learning but it says um i can read it it says uh um but what's it called um yeah, the fact that thing is written in Russian and that they say comrade. I mean, I've always thought the Phantom Scythe was a hard Yeah, definitely communist. allegory for communist. Yeah, an allegory to communism. Absolutely. Started out as realistic, ended up killing billions of people. So, yeah. And, and you know, uh, a lot of spying going on too, right? So he stabs it with a pen. Second you step out of line again, none of your alliances and fine words will be of any use to you. I do not need to kill you to make you suffer. 
Ooh. Very scary. The lean back to like of Apostle Seven and actually I'm like, dang, this guy, like, oh. <laughs> so wait, you interpret it as like, oh, I'm being cool. Because I interpret it like, oh my God, you're getting too close to my face. I'm getting scared. No, <laughs> I like I saw the guy, like, you know, the way he just acted around Bella, I think even like with the leader, because he knows that he has one up the leader because of just all his connections and you know again the web that he has built and mm-hmm. now it's kind of like you know his investments um and his connections they're paying off because mm-hmm. even the leader recognizes that apostle seven is just such a crucial part of the phantom site that they can't get rid of him you know and i think that's a little he, scarier though yeah <laughs> but like still like even he has gotten a second chance Unlike everyone else, he has won, basically. Well, so he thinks, but <laughs> he's the, uh, you know, he leans back, he's like, of course. And Leo says, in the meantime, and he snaps his fingers, and two guards, you know, dressed in those assassin uniforms, come and grab him by the arms. And Jim's like, what? And three is that malicious grin. And he's like, I will take great care of him, leader. I'm so excited. <laughs> Oh dear, torture time, probably. And we hear thump, the leader is still blank and expressionless, doesn't care about his old friend being dragged away behind him into this dungeon and just proceeds while he's still being dragged away, proceeds with the next order of business. Yeah, he's heartless. (laughs) Fourth, how is the search for Abel Sam going? And everyone's looking, if you notice, everyone's looking at Seven being dragged away and he's not even looking. I think that he's he's just he's hardened his heart so much yeah. to to everything. Like he's like, I don't care. I don't care about he, he doesn't care about people yeah. filling people's lives. Like it's not the first time he's had to like, you know, just leave someone, right? But, you know, what happened to all the other apostles, you know, dead. So it's probably just that by his hand, right? <laughs> yeah. But also like he's just there is a moment you know where he like kind of like just waits a moment so I wonder like what he's contemplating there and then he goes to address fourth I definitely took it more as like um it's hard for him but he can't show his weakness in front of all the other apostles Mm -hmm. because I would imagine it would be hard for him to do that I wouldn't be able to do that I mean he's been with him you know for at least 10 years now and clearly there's some kind of relationship there. I, I don't think it would just be work-related. So I feel like it would still be hard for him, and that's why he's not watching him get dragged mm. off to be tortured. Yeah. Well, that's a very, that's a more sympathetic view. I don't know. I, I think the leader's kind of like gone insane already at this point. But really, we don't know until we, we meet him and we get to know him. Like, we just don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so he's like, how's the search for Abel Sandman? And the fourth says, my men have located him, but he managed to escape. We still do not know who he is working with yet. Okay, okay. So, you know, he's working on something, as we know from last episode. And then leader, his crazy glowy eyes, says, find them. Spare no one. But yeah, like, you're in. New job for you coming up. Mm. <laughs> Would that be like, awkward for Kieran because he literally killed like Sandman's oh no oh my god okay so Sandman kind of like 
picked up that he was being hunted right you know he he knew the assassin was after him last episode so when kieran comes he's probably gonna know that it's like the purple heist and he's gonna be like he's probably gonna tell kieran how he killed oh my god okay so salmon tells kieran how kieran killed his daughter and kieran feels really guilty about that right and Mm -hmm. Kieran hesitates on killing Sandman, mm. which gives Sandman time to escape, which means Kieran fails, right? Mm. Because Sandman is very, like, very, like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, good at fighting for an old man. <laughs> I can't remember the word. Um, but yeah, that's gonna turn like the spotlight to Bella because you know she has been slowly like just making her way up to Kieran's position, right? And she is trying to prove herself. So that'd be like, yo, the Purple Hyacinth failed, and this might be Bella's time to overtake him. I kind of had like a fun theory that um Kieran was gonna start telling Lauren about his hit list and like the people that he's supposed to go after, and he's gonna go after Sandman and they're gonna kind of like fake his death and hide him somewhere. That's a good one. Yeah, that's kind of my hope for the whole scenario. Mm. Yeah, I want Sandman to survive. I, I think he's, like, he turned out to be such a good character and, like, badass, apparently. Like, doing, I don't know what he's doing. I want to know, find out. But it looks like he's, <laughs> he's trying to do something. Yeah, a year and a half ago, I would have been so happy to hear that Kieran was going after Sandman. Now, <laughs> I would not be happy to hear that. I, like, episode 90 got me to switch up on Sandman. I, like, hated him before, but now I'm, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's such Pretty a good amazing. character. Yeah, like I'm fully expecting, like right now I'm like, oh my god, the leader is like beyond redemption, but I'm fully expecting when that mask is taken away. I'm like, oh, leader, my little it's, puppy dog. No, because I mean, the leader's going to make the leader hot. What? They're going to make, like, the leader's going to have like some scars or something, but it's going to make him like hot, you know? I don't know. I don't want to feel <laughs> people are going to People are going to forgive him because they sent for him, you know, the way I forgive Belle because she's hot. <laughs> there's always some like tragic backstory to the main villain that's just like damn like johan from um yeah. uh unholy blood like i felt for the guy like i didn't like completely feel bad for him but i'm like damn that's really sad and i'm kind of expecting this for the leader mm-hmm. here yeah, yeah the was- only character yeah the only character i think i will never like switch up on is apostle seven <laughs> okay that man is like no no I will never <laughs> forgive him you know like my like you know how like sometimes you like think about like you know like little scenarios in your head before you get to sleep my one of my comfort scenarios is Bella stabbing him like you know <laughs> that's what brings me happiness <laughs> awesome well you have more things to bring you happiness as you can know oh, oh yeah your favorite character who you I know oh my god Man, I was manifesting before this episode and then yeah we got it so. <laughs> okay so we cut to black and then we cut to um uh, a new area which we have not seen before and there's some like neon lights um which when I saw it I was like oh this is definitely also inspired by arcane because um there's been a few more like influences I think from the tv show arcane um on purple hyacinth and one one part that really stuck out to me previously was um 
some of like the monsters that played Thorne when she was having her panic attack in episode mm. 112, I think. Yeah. And so that was very reminiscent of um, hallucinations that another one of the characters has. Mm. And it was like a new style to BH. So mm. around the time that that episode would have been produced would have been around the time that, you know, Arcane came out. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm connecting some dots here. <laughs> but yeah, so this this setting reminds me of um, the underground of Arcane. Mm-hmm. um so zon as they call it in the show and you know really it, this cool. is mm-hmm. um, i can't say for sure that it was inspired by that but I, there were some visual similarities so yeah yeah but it's uh, yeah cool that it's like associated with the underworld because it also gives me like a really strong like um underworld vibes from like lore olympus like the neon lights like the purples and pinks and everything like that in the underworld um so i think it's cool that there's like those like two kind of like connections with like the underworlds yeah and like sorry um yeah so we've we've heard a bit about like the underworld before the criminal underworld and I would assume it's in the South Shore, but I can't say for sure. It might be like some of the more westward districts. So like seven, like Precinct 7, um, but who knows where it is on the map. But yeah, so Criminal Underworld. And we see, we cut to Kieran, you know, he's got his hood on, um, you know, still got his katana. And it looks like he's following someone. And that person is Ryan Flemings. And there's a short um, flashback to um, one of the season one episodes where we meet Belladonna. And it was when she was at the bar with uh, Ryan Flemings. And he says, so it's true. Onslow, McTrevor, and Blakesley were all arrested. And those were the other loon convicts. And Kieran says to himself, now Flemings, what else are you up to? So do you so, think he was following Flemings or he just was uh, walking around and he happened to see him and then he decided to follow him? I think he was following him. Like he was doing more like investigations on him, mm-hmm. especially since Elvira Lloyd mm-hmm. got arrested. Mm-hmm. So yeah, okay. he sees some bruises and you know he's walking past some crates and then someone says, under a sign that says, lead she's like oh i don't know if it's lead lead leader oh um, yeah um, <laughs> nice one um yeah so s- some guy says hey isn't that the purple hyacinth and this surprised me because um in episode five people recognize kieran as the purple hyacinth mm-hmm. but he's not really wearing a mask and i i was wondering whether this would be something that would get retconned in the story because personally i just I'm surprised that people would recognize him, you know, know that face, right? Mm. Um, and I'm also, like, I, I was surprised that, like, you know, why would they let people know this, right? This is, like, the best assassin in the Phantom Scythe, right? You know, if one of these dudes got arrested, right, then, like, they could just sell out Kieran, right. you know, for, like, their own freedom or, mm-hmm. like, a lesser sentence. Because they would. Like, they would. Yeah, like, I think that they would exchange, like, the APD would exchange someone's freedom, you know, uh, for, like, the identity of the Purple Hyacinth. So I'm, I'm surprised that 
you know, this is just common knowledge for like lower gutter people or lower like PS people, gutter snipes. So the person says and says, it's been a while since we've seen him in the underworld. So Kieran has not been here in a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, this dude's um, companion says, he looks all roughed up. And the person says, probably because he failed his mission to kill him. And that also surprised me. I'm like, how did they know this? Like, what? Yeah. I was like, dang. And like the, P- uh, the APD has spies, right? In the PS. And they have multiple spies, but like, if this is just common knowledge that these like random dudes on the street know, like, how did the APD not know? I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. <sighs> so that, yeah, that surprised me. Um, and then Kieran arrives at a door, and I can't really read the sign. It looks like it says Sam's, yeah. and I don't really know what that symbol is there, but there's something in pink. I thought it was beer, a beer keg, a beer a beer. Maybe there's like no handle. <laughs> yeah, so he arrives at a door and um, he reaches to open it and there's like a doom. And like, Kieran gets like surprised and he's like, what the hell? He doesn't say that, but he's like, you know, just an expression of his eyes, like he furrows his brows. And he, he slowly opens the door to find Capri Sund Ryan Fleming's, aka Ryan Fleming's with got golden and viper venom yikes um, they are good at drawing grotesque, grotesque yeah features. it's like zombie boys so yeah karen is standing over ryan fleming's a deceased body and he frowns and when i saw this i was like oh my god because i actually got spoiled for it unfortunately because like someone was like oh my god bella it's like there's what yeah. like before i saw this and then i saw the and then i saw ryan Fleming get killed and i was like oh oh my god oh yeah, my god. i'm seeing love soon it's been a year like i had to i had to prepare myself you know and so karen frowns and there's a, a year since we've seen her yeah it has wow oh well, i'm sorry for you Flute. <laughs> i know because i'm pretty sure like the anniversary of belorsi oh okay so, yeah, the anniversary of Belarusi for non-fast pass is April 5th. Don't ask me why I know this, okay? <laughs> and it is March 17th as we are recording this. So, yeah. So, there's a thud and Kieran looks over and someone says, want to help me move the body like good old times? And you scroll down and <laughs> it's the goddess herself, you know, the icon, <laughs> the living icon, the breathing, you know, the, yeah, the, the myth, the legend herself, <laughs> Belladonna Davenport. Look at smashing. She is the blood on her face, you know. Her hands are hella bloody too. Mm-hmm. She might be wearing the same coat that she was wearing when she went to see Darcy and Apostle Seven, but um, there's no fur lining on the inside of her sleeves. And the coat looks a little greener, so it's probably not mm-hmm. the same coat. But then she's like, so yeah, want to help me move the body like good old times here in. And I was like, damn, I wish you would ask me to help her move a corpse, you know? (laughs) Oh boy. Well, that Bella. I'm excited to see her. I hope we get more of her, you know? Yeah, next episode. Okay, because like every single episode, like they show us something at the end, right? That's detached from like the main conversation. And then they cut off to something different, you know, this better 
I swear the next episode better pick off here. I'll cry if it doesn't. Okay. But like, yeah. So, you know, the death of Ryan Fleming's, it makes me think Elvira is going to get killed off before mm. she can tell anything to the police because that's what happened to Trevor, you know? Right. So, and Kieran was the one who killed them. So that would make sense that that would be his next assignment. Yeah. Um, especially if he's put in the tower. Mm-hmm. But maybe they probably like amped up the tower security after the tower murders, right? So maybe we get to see Bella and Kieran infiltrate the oh. tower together. You know, <laughs> you just like you don't care about all those poor guards. You just want them to get together. <laughs> I want to see Bella kill people. It's hot. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, Aww. this is like all your morals like, fly out the window for Bella. I know, Mindy. You had your you had your Lockie moment in. Um, no one had to die for Lockie to look at each other in the eyes, you know? <laughs> um, a whole factory had to get blown up. Mindy, <laughs> correct yourself. <laughs> this is kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, Ryan Fleming's for... I would kill off Ryan Fleming's any day just for that one <laughs> panel of Belladonna. Like, <laughs> well. she looks so good. Who is ready yeah. to throw wives out the window for Bella? I would. <laughs> like, I would. Maybe I will break into the tower. Okay, I'll break into the tower so Bella doesn't have to get her hands dirty. Again. Oh. I'll break into the tower and kill over your <laughs> poor oh Bella. You know, tower couple here. Exactly. Yeah. Giving away her fun. She likes to do that. Remember, she likes. Okay, playing. maybe she can teach me. I'm just saying. You know, throwing okay. ideas out there. I think she should go off on your little evil Bella. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so she she looks so good here but also like she does she looks um good old times i'm like what does that mean i think you're gonna pretend he liked what he did yeah i think it's kind of funny because like when i when i read that line i just think of like Kieran, like scrawny teenage Kieran and bella like struggling to pull a body out of a room or something like they're like you're not pulling hard enough like i'm the one doing all the play- no you're not doing all the play i'm doing all the play and then they like try to like lift the person up and they like just fall over you know it would not bad. she's probably super fit from um you know being trained in the circus but you know malnourished orphan kieran's like mm. oh dear yeah they, but you were right they were totally bigger like babies <laughs> yeah but yeah i love i love their dynamics so much i literally like i'm so hyped for this because I really hope the next episode picks up with them because Bella and Kieran is probably like my favorite relationship like not a romantic relationship but like platonic relationship in Purple Heights I just I love their dynamic so much and like episode 72 is so underrated like I just I love the way they like just interact with each other you know <laughs> I love your enthusiasm yeah <laughs> it makes me ha- very happy <laughs> uh. <laughs> Awesome. Well, do we have anything else to say on this episode before we close out? Um, R.P. Fleming's, I guess, you know, it, it definitely feels like Bella's, you know, closing up all the ties or like the Pendum Seth is really just taking care of all the ties to the factory because, you know, they incapacitated Apostle Seven, they killed off Fleming's, you know, Elvira's kind of next. Yeah. yeah but also like okay so we got darcy and now we have bella you know just wondering when we bring them together we have the blue haired person oh <gasps> the blue haired person too 
<laughs> when do they come back? You know, I just when do they come for reasons. Out. Together, all of them next episode. Just just jump. Yeah, in. manifesting it right now. <laughs> I, I'm already setting out the candles as we speak. The colorful people's <laughs> mm-hmm. colorful head people. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. Oh, wait, Darcy just has brown hair. Never mind. <laughs> he has purple eyes though. So yeah. we got purple, blue, pink. A win for the bisexuals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I thought this was a great episode. It was really, really long and mm-hmm. full of a lot of uh, juicy details. I love the author's note at the end, too. Um, imagine if the apostles and the leader played poker together. It'll be the hardest game ever. <laughs> yeah, they both have metal. M-E-T-T-L-E. Yeah. Um, a lot of lore in this episode like a lot of just you know exposition about where the phantom scythe is um probably my favorite takeaway has to be you know the voice parents leader and apostle seven and then their two kids bella and kieran Uh (laughs) yeah there's a lot of a lot of stuff about i'm I'm happy we're finally getting to see the phantom scythe from the inside you know um, they're always like the big bad so it's good to see uh, that was like off screen so now I'm glad we're seeing their inner workings. I, you know, because I think we've mentioned this at some point, like oh, there's a lot, a lot of loose ends, a lot of mysteries. So it does kind of need to start answering some of the questions already. So by like getting into the mind of the faith of Scythe and, you know, getting to hear their interactions and decision-making process firsthand, it's, it's giving that to us. Like it's not, it's no longer an esoteric mystery that's outside of the screen. It's finally like becoming part of the story. Yeah. I think something that has like I've been thinking about for a while since like episode 91 is that I'm kind of like I don't know the way like exposition and just information is given on Apostle 7 just I find it interesting because you know the identity of Apostle 7 was kind of like the objective of the first season right that was the overall goal that Loon was working towards like the bigger goal was finding the leader but contained to that season it was Lauren and Kieran trying to figure out who Apostle 7 was right and so they went to like they found people who were connected to Apostle 7 and so they went to interrogate them to find information on Apostle 7 and that was you know that was what they're working towards but um in season two they are still working towards that however they do have to take a detour because of that information that they find on the factory and so the season becomes less focused on finding out who Apostle 7 is and more like finding where this factory is and what's going on with it, you know, for this like revolution that um, Apostle 7 is planning. And because the focus kind of shifted away from Apostle 7's identity, um, you know, we didn't really see Loon really working towards that goal anymore. But what's what I find ironic, or just, I guess not really ironic, but what I find just interesting again is that in the time that like Loon hasn't been completely focused on apostle seven's identity we basically got it confirmed and it was just yeah. like all in scenes uh, completely unrelated to loon you know when bella went to go see apostle seven and then um in this meeting scene you know where the apostles were all talking mm-hmm. yep all right well i'm super excited as always for next week and thank you so much for joining ocean and fruit it was delightful as always Yes. I had so much fun. I love I love this episode. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. Have a good night, ladies. You too. Good night.